Hello and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we will put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. All right, so this is our Christmas special. Merry yes, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, and so we are starting today with a Christmas tale called Rare Exports. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will get into one of the most talked about horror movies of the year, uh, Don't Breathe. Yeah, so we'll call that like also our end of year special. Yeah. Because uh, we won't get to do a New Year's, so we'll see you after winter break to come yeah. back for a Friday the 13th special and for our semester abroad. Yes. Um, so we're going to start with Rare Exports. Okay, so this was released in 2010. Uh, the full title, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. Directed by Jamari Halander. Written by Jamari Halander, Juso, Yuso Halander, uh, Petri Jokaranta, Sammy Parkin. Uh, starring Ani Tamilia as Piet- Pietri and Jorma Tamilia as Rano. You can look forward to a whole semester of me butchering. <laughs> no, you're killing it. Names. No, you're doing, you're doing great. You got, you got those Japanese <laughs> names, year. and now okay, we've got. Well, let's get into production. So production. So we're looking to make sure that the film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. Um, so let's start with production. You were telling me before that uh, this the movie is based on two shorts yes. done by the same writer-director. And actors. And actors. Uh, did you get the chance to see them? I didn't. Okay. Um, so the first one is called Rare Exports, and it came out in 2003, I believe. And um, so it's a short six-minute film, and it has those three like lead adult actors, and they are hunting a Santa Claus in the wild. Okay. So there was like a naked old guy <laughs> in the woods and they tracked him down and, and they're tracking and, him. And, and hunted him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the next one, it's called like rare exports survival manual or instruction guide or something like that. And it was released a couple years later. It was about how they train. And so there's actually a very similar shot um, from the end of this movie where, you know, there's the row of, of Santas who have dolls on their laps and are practicing giving presents to kids. Mm-hmm. That's directly from that video. Gotcha. Okay. And so that idea of um, having these wild Santas that are trained and exported from the original land of Santa. Mm-hmm. It has been kicking around for, what, seven years before this movie was released. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is 
uh, a further exploration of that concept mm -hmm. in a feature length. Okay. So it would have been like, because I feel like there is that twist and surprise at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So that wouldn't have happened had I seen the shorts before. Right. You really get the sense after watching the shorts that that's where they started. And so this movie is kind of working backwards to show how they got there mm -hmm. because that whole plot of, you know, losing the reindeer and the father having economic anxiety, um, and then being able to transform his his farm into his reindeer farm into a Santa farm mm -hmm. uh, that um, is is where he ultimately the the director ultimately wants to get to, and so you know we're we're seeing that change take place. Okay. Uh, also, uh, in the second one, the little boy is in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he is used as, like, uh, he's used as bait, essentially. Because <laughs> they can sniff out the Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think in terms of writing and the character, I'll start with the characters. I just like how, for for how out there the, like, the subject matter of the movie is, mm -hmm. I like how grounded the characters are. I feel like this movie does a great job spending time mm -hmm. with the little boy and his dad yeah, to you, flesh them out as characters. Yeah, you really get to sympathize with the boy. I also found myself sympathizing with the father. Yeah. Um, they're just, you know, kind of heartbreaking mo little moments where, oh, the boy asks his dad, what would you do if I disappeared or something? Because, you know, he's realizing that all of his friends have been kidnapped and the father just tells him to go to bed. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of this heartbreaking moment where out, even outside of the context of a, you know, unearthed deadly Santa Claus, <laughs> <laughs> um, you get this, this relationship, uh, in the movie and, and I think it works well. Yeah. I, th I think that's part of like, according to our rubric, that's something that in this movie makes it timeless. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what point in time, like having a movie about that relationship, mm -hmm. I think works. Yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed too, in terms of that relationship, but also the subject matter of the Santa Claus mm -hmm. is that it really, and maybe this goes, um, Maybe this goes into monster quality a little bit. I don't know. Um, but just the the whole idea of Santa and the you know big fat lie that mm -hmm. we tell our children yeah. um, it is really it, – it's part of the rite of passage for that little boy, like finding out whether um, Santa exists or not. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like is a modern cultural mm -hmm. rite of passage that we have in the West. And so I liked seeing it taken even further in this movie where it incorporates that idea of hunting mm -hmm. and combines those two rites of passages. Yeah. Um, I, so I, re I, I really like that as a part of like our, you know, the iconography and all that. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, and then thinking about special effects, I think the, the makeup and the look of the, we'll call them the Santa's helpers. Yeah. Um, because we realized that it's not, it's Santa. not Santa. There's a Krampus type uh -huh. <clears throat> thing. That's the Santa. Um, I, I really li like their look yes. of them. 
Um, I think the whole movie, the way it's shot in the landscape, so cinematography is... The landscape is beautiful. Yeah. And I think it fits because it helps to push those ideas of sort of of isolation and mm-hmm. how afraid they would be of this army of yeah. Santa's helpers. And you do get this sense that, you know, there's there's a a, a history there where you, you, you get the sense that this is where Santa came from, you know? Mm-hmm. Like this is the land of the legend. Mm-hmm. And so I really like that. And... I think we'll get into the mythology and, and how this movie turns the Santa mythology on its head a little bit with monster factor or with, yeah, monster quality. But I love the way that the characters take take this whole thing so seriously. Yeah. Um, the beginning is just fantastic where the the man is he gives the set of rules mm-hmm. to the can like uh digging crew mm-hmm. and it's like no no smoking no cursing wash behind your ears mm-hmm. and it's just he he he's so serious about it mm-hmm. and so it adds to the humor and i think this is a pretty funny movie um but the way that it's grounded and taken seriously, it also uh, has sympathetic characters and is yeah. I think, relatable. So thinking about other Christmas movies, like so last year when we did Krampus, I think that's what lacks in Krampus. You can't sympathize with the characters. Yeah. There are some kind of scary moments with the monsters, but it it is almost like it was too comical mm-hmm. in moments like uh, where it shouldn't have been. There's like a tone yeah. issue there. Um, and at, where I think as in this one, it's got kind of, well, I'll say consistent tone all the way until the end. Yes. The only part that bothers me is the helicopter swinging around bur- children in burlap sacks. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the I can't believe that's, are... that's the most ridiculous thing in this whole movie yeah. for me. <laughs> Not the, <laughs> well, army. Of... <laughs> so the connection to Krampus then is the, the movie Krampus is when they go full CGI, it took it took me out of both movies. Yeah. Like with the toys and the little gingerbread men and Krampus, I I was taken out and with the helicopter just you know making these like impossible turns. <laughs> with the, yeah, <laughs> with a the rope boy sack just full of children off. and him yeah. hanging on. Yeah. Um yeah, it really um, takes away the suspension suspension of disbelief, and so yeah. Um, the end has some issues. Yeah. Um, but but I like those ending uh, scenes, the rare export scenes where they're training. I mean, that's yeah, that's fun. I, I think you have to like. I see why he's doing it because he he needs to round up those helpers but i have to say that i I really like the way it's done in the shorts where they have to go hunt for santa in the wild rather than in luring them all into um into uh, a fenced area and so i wonder if 
if they just got a little too ambitious with the scale. That's what I was thinking. You know, could they have it's just... Too big for their britches. Yeah, could the helpers just have dispersed mm -hmm. after and then, then they, they have hunt. to mm -hmm. when they don't have the uh i guess the leader or that yeah draw of the kids or whatever and so i i feel like that would have been much more effective and, and it would have kept it grounded yeah yeah so i i do want to give it a point because i've I would say three quarters of the, of the story and like we're talking about special effects and cinematography works for mm -hmm. me. It makes it like, it makes it fun. Like just a solid story. So I'm going to give it a point. I am too. And we had talked about this before that I, I don't like Christmas movies yeah. uh, with the exception of Scrooge, but that's more of a Bill Murray movie. Um, and so this movie made me, realize that well reminded me that I, I don't care for Christmas movies but it made me question how much of this is a Christmas movie and I think it is but I think that it eschews so much of the the hokey lame sincerity that I find in Christmas movies. It, it, it just takes all of that away and flips it on its head, which will take us into monster quality. So I'm going to give it a point. It's more, I feel like it's more, it's, it's less, even though it deals with Santa Claus and Christmas is going on, I feel like it is more of a mythology. It's more of a legend. It's telling like this legend. Yeah. But I, I still think that, the idea of belief and innocence is very important. Sure. But it's, it's told in like an interesting way. Yeah. In a way that isn't, you know, about how precious our children are and how we need to, you know, pass on this tradition mm -hmm. and, you know, give each other presents. It's, it, it's more about, you know, this, this father son relationship and the son growing up. That's what, yeah, that's, that's what hooked me too. that again, that like that rite of passage growing up, becoming a man. Yeah. Um, kind of putting childish things aside and all that. So, yeah. Uh, so what about monster quality? The film's monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth. I was all in with these monsters even up to the reveal of the giant horned Santa Krampus guy. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does relate. I, I don't know. I, I'm on the fence whether they have depth or not, because even though it, it's seemingly based on like this mythology, because like the kid can flip through the books. Yeah. We don't know much about their origin. I guess it goes into the story Just... of how they get captured in the mountain and all that. And the, yeah. the, the the people of the land like freezing it and that. well, that's like backstory. Is that necessarily depth? Right, that's my problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it does assume that you have some familiarity with the original legend, um, or at least the Finnish version mm -hmm. of the legend. So, I I ask the same question. I think Santa's helpers are creepy. Yeah, like having some like 
dirty, naked old men. Uh, sniffing around for sniffing children. Sniffing around, yeah. That, that was effectively frightening, I think. Um, yeah. In the beginning, I feel like. Yeah. I, by the end. By the end when they're all running through the woods. Yeah. Them. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not, I guess I'm not sure you have, it, it's almost like it's instinctual for these helpers. Like they, they can smell children. They get distracted by gingerbread cookies. Um, they seem to be able to tell who's naughty and nice. Yeah. And so, I, mm, I, I will say, I think there's depth with the idea of, of innocence and belief. Mm-hmm. Like, because the kid is the only believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, but he's the only one that's equipped to, uh, deal with this crisis. And so I think in a roundabout way, it's, it's a movie that promotes believing in legend and believing in the power of, of this mythology but it's it's done in a way where it's it's more about like survival mm-hmm. you know he wants mm-hmm. to get whipped uh so that he'll be punished and so then he'll be back on the good list yeah you know and so there's like this kind of childlike understanding of the mythology and um i don't know see like by the end i i thought you know He's like, he, he's grown. His father says, oh, you're a man now. Um, but he's also a believer in Santa Claus. And, you know, how many Christmas movies end with, you know, all the skeptic, all the skeptics, you know, are, are outside watching Santa fly mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. on his sleigh. They're like, wow, I, I believe in the magic of Santa, mm-hmm. you know? And so... I think there's something there. Well, that's what I was thinking. I think that's the archetypal fear. I think it's just another story. So the Santa Claus story is just another story that gets told to kids to make them behave. But there's also the fear there that's like, what if my that story that my parents are telling me is true? Something like of Halloween legends too, like check your candy. There could be razor blades mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. You better be good or Santa's going to give you coal or yeah. I'll kill you. <laughs> like, I think that... That there's um, that that's the tie-in to archetypal fears, kind of as you're saying, like about it's the story mm-hmm. and it's the legend. Um, I just don't know if the parts, if this movie as a whole, if the monsters are frightening enough. To you know what I'm saying? I think frightening enough for monster quality. Yeah, to me, frightening in this category means like frightening in nature yeah, as opposed to like scary because that's scare factor. Right. So like, are they frightening in nature? Are these old, dirty, old, naked men, uh, frightening? Sure. Yeah. Like we were saying, I mean, they are, it's super creepy in the beginning. 
just, just the con- the concept of those of those monsters. Yeah, and the dolls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I don't know. Thinking about it in that way, I think I'm going to say that they do have depth enough to. I think it earns a point. But it's that. But the, ah. But that's that's only. But they are only one part of that. Like right. for the big for the big monster that's there. We don't even see it. It's encased in ice. Uh. Uh-uh. I think maybe would, being too focused on which, the which helpers. Which is fine, I think, because what what would we need there? Would we need a big CGI <laughs> Krampus dude walking around no. for a, a little bit? Well, let's let's think about so like we do with the other ones. What are the other monsters besides the okay actual monsters? Well, um, I think there's the so anxiety the of the mm-hmm. father who. You know, his whole uh, ranger farm was destroyed, and so he has no idea what to do. Um, he's he's at a loss um, being able to provide. And so that, I, I, thinking back on that, that, that thread mm-hmm. is, is really important because that's what takes us to the end. Like you said, the survival. Yeah, and, and, and how they are able to make a living now from from the Santas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that's an important part. So that that fear of um, not being able to provide, of losing your, um, you know, what it is that that keeps you afloat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, just like the childlike fear of being naughty and getting punished mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said, the loss taken. of rite of passage, loss of innocence that's there too. Cause that, that in and of itself, like becoming a man is scary. Um, or what it means to be a grown up is scary regardless of gender. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm inclined it's to weird. give it a point. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of an unusual, it's an unusual movie. Yeah, in that it's it's kind of a dark comedy, but also a horror film. But then kind of an action film at the end. It's the it's the action film. It's the action action parts that take me out. Yeah, we saw it with Phantasm too. Right, like when it has that shift to an action movie, it just kind of flops. I'm I'm gonna give it a point too. Yeah, yeah. So scare factor. The film has clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. Um, I just don't think it's successful in the end. It falls short. Like we like the we've been talking half, about. Yeah. Um, I would say everything up to when, when they, they confront him. Confront the first helper, like the solo yeah, helper. When, when they have him hanging there and yeah. he's just giving this kind of evil look at them. I think everything up to there works and then yeah, when they tr- take that helper to the facility. Yeah, try to negotiate his trade, and from there on, it does. And what's what's crazy? That is only maybe the last fifteen or twenty minutes of the movie. It it does have a slow start. Yeah, you know? that like that whole all of the that major action with the helicopter and all that that happens over a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised by that. It just kind of takes a turn, but I feel like that's where it's not 
it doesn't hold its scare mm-hmm. um, after that point. Yeah. Like so. I said, I, I thought the dolls were creepy. Mm-hmm. Like when when they find the man in the in the the helper in the bear trap, uh, the kid returns to the trap and finds you know the burlap sack that he was going to use to like uh, capture him and then, you know, mm-hmm. replace him with the doll. Like that's a really creepy idea. Mm-hmm. We see it used once. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there's enough creepy stuff at the beginning, but yeah, yeah there's really not much of a payoff at the end. Yeah. And it's, but at the same time, and I, I, I still don't think I'm going to give it a point, but if it stayed that small in scope, I don't think you could have that big ending with the rare exports. So it's kind of a tough, you know what I mean? Like, like I said, if you think it works if, if the, the helpers dispersed mm-hmm. and so that they would have to like hunt mm-hmm. the Santa and maybe in the final scene, they, there, there was some kind of like they were, maybe being chased or, or, or they were chasing after, you know, maybe a, a small pack or something. And, you know, you could have had the kid in danger, you know, yeah, being used as they, you know, the, um, it could have the, been yeah. just on a small scale with just a few Santas. Yeah. I think that would have been effective, but even then it's just, I mean, throughout this movie, it's, it's goofy. It's mm-hmm. a, a naked old man who looks like Santa, who's like feral. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know if it, if it ever would truly like get a point in scare factor because yeah, that's what it I mean. is, it, it is meant to be funny. Yeah. So, but it's played serious. Yeah. So it doesn't make it into the canon, but I would recommend it. I would put it up there for like, if you need a Christmas horror movie i'd put it in the list would it would it go into honorable mention i don't i don't know i don't think so uh only because of the scare factor right like right like well, i feel like those those movies in honorable mention have are, are scary on a different level even yeah i i don't think there's enough there to give it to get to, to put it in honorable mention, yeah. even although I, I would agree with you that I I think this is a good holiday horror movie. Absolutely, um, Black Christmas <clears throat> may be my favorite. Yeah, but that's not there. Their Christmas is more incidental. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but, we were talking about that. Like, what makes it uh, a Christmas movie or just a movie that has Christmas yeah. in it? And there's a commercial on TV right now that goes against your Die Hard proposition it calls what? die hard a christmas movie how is die hard a christmas movie? i don't know it's in an 18 and commercial and the dude just says it on a couch but well i know there's like an <laughs> online debate about yeah. it but die hard is not a christmas movie <laughs> a christmas movie has to be about christmas do you, it can't just because it takes place during christmas make confession i haven't seen die hard all the way through so I can't even like well, have this, this argument. We're going to start a new podcast. <laughs> it's, called, it's called it's called Eric needs to watch <laughs> Die, all the diehards. Yes. Oh, I haven't even seen all of them. I haven't seen the later ones, but oh man, it's <laughs> it's like the best I'll, action movie. I'll ever. watch it over Christmas break. 
Yeah, there you go. It's a Christmas movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a movie about Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie. Um, But, uh, yeah, so Rare Exports is definitely a Christmas movie. Totally, yeah, because Um, it's, it's using the mythology yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's just it's not it's it's told in a different way, mm-hmm. which I can appreciate as someone who doesn't yeah. like Christmas movies. Yep, yeah. I think it's a nice. Uh, so, like, I watched it with my brother. My brother uh, doesn't like watching anything that has subtitles. Oh, <laughs> but he liked this one, so I yeah. like I got him to I got him to watch this one. He's okay. he's he's one of those. Um, <laughs> But, but he enjoyed there's it. There's some English fun. in that. I know. I think that's what like yeah. kind of bridged the gap there because you have the, them speaking English at the uh-huh. factory or digging the hole. Yeah. Or um, so, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, let's move on then. Um, don't breathe. To don't breathe. Uh, this was released earlier this year, 2016, directed by Fede Alvarez, written by Fede Alvarez in Rotosayagas and... Starring Jane Levy as Rocky, Dylan Minnette as Alex, Daniel Zavato as Money, Stephen Lang as the Blind Man. Okay, let's start with production. So I feel like, well, let's just talk about um, cinematography and even um, soundtrack in this. So I think one thing I noticed about cinematography, it looks beautiful, it um, it has intentional use of color from the very mm-hmm. beginning. Um, the shots of Detroit um, work really well to set the scene. I think they're, again, very intentional intentional and purposeful. It makes it good cinematography. Mm-hmm. Soundtrack, I also like how I'm just a sucker for um, the use of silence as a sound, mm-hmm. as part of the soundtrack. Um, of course, it's appropriate in this movie since, um, you know, He's blind mm-hmm. and he's using sound so much. So those two things stick out to me first and foremost. And I think it's well executed throughout. Yeah. It's like, there's not a misstep mm-hmm. with it. Which I yeah. think is special. I think the use of light and darkness is also very well done. Um, that opening shot is, it really is fantastic mm-hmm. uh, because you zoom in on this neighborhood and a man carrying something down the middle of the street. And as you get closer, you realize he's carrying a woman in the middle of the street in this neighborhood. And the only way that that could happen in America is if it's in a place like Detroit, where the neighborhood is abandoned and um, his house is like the only house that's being lived in on that street. And like, it is, it it's like it follows, which mm-hmm. is also set in Detroit. Like there's there's something about these two movies and, and the setting of Detroit that just it creates an amazing setting for horror. Yeah. And it's so appropriate that it's Detroit for that character because the fact that the neighborhood's in decay it doesn't matter to him. His whole life is in decay. I mean yeah. he had everything that you know, anyone would want. Mm-hmm. He was a vet. He, um, or, uh, he had a family and he lost it all mm-hmm. through no fault of his yeah. own. So yeah, exactly. The setting is just a reflection it, of him. Yes. And so it's, it's just masterful. Yeah. I the think. city, I mean, there's all of that, those undertones about like, you know, you know, turning, you know, turning your back on a city or mm-hmm. um, blind eye on our veterans and yeah. like 
that and, and it, it's just, it's subtle, but uh, it's it's there. And like the youth, um, mm -hmm. you know, having to resort to crime, um, not just the dude with uh, the cornrows, but also the guy who is in law school or wants to go to law school. Right. You know, he also has to. Uh, he he also is trapped. You mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. so everyone is trapped and there doesn't seem to be much hope for the future yeah and let's let's talk about that with the in terms of writing of the character development that's something that stuck out to me in the beginning is that the way that we get introduced to each character mm -hmm. happens in a very short amount of time but it tells you everything you need to know yeah. about those characters so there's like shots uh let's say for example of what's jane levy's character's name rocky so in rocky's home you know, when she's there with her mom and her younger sister and there's the whole um, the whole scene and argument mm -hmm. there, you're like, okay, I know why she's this yeah. desperate for the money. It's her escape. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the mom's boyfriend just sits there watching TV and he has a swastika on his yes. hand. And that's all you need to know. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to know. Don't have to. It doesn't. It, I guess maybe it's from us doing the J-Har, but it was just so refreshing. How oh. <laughs> quick paced, but also effective. That it yes. was. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, I have to give it a point for production for all of those. The acting is great. Um, yeah. Very um, authentic. Um, there are special effects a little bit. Yeah. Uh, when to do, <laughs> when, when you get, uh, when, we'll just call them cornrows. When cornrows get shot in the mouth. Yeah. And it's like this slow more thing. I like, I cringed at that one. I was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, his name's Money, if you want to oh, oh, give him due respect. Yeah, let's, uh, let's flip that around, and I should call him Money instead of Cornrows. My bad. That's Mr. Money. <laughs> it's Mr. Money. I'll call him Mr. Cornrows. Um, yeah, and so another thing that we we haven't touched much on is the camera work. Um, I had that in my notes, yep. So one of, I think, the best long takes of the of the year and in recent memory is when they first get into the house and it's a long take so it goes like from room to room and they're all like moving around doing their thing so we we follow one and then we get another and then it the camera like purposefully uh lingers on important elements that are going to be come into play later so in this in this long take, you you get all of the pieces on the chessboard. You get the hammer, you get the bell, you get the shoes, like it's mm -hmm. the alarm system, the crawl space, and like it's it's just so well done. Um so that when you when you have those scenes later where they are relevant, none of it feels cheap. None of it's like, oh what Oh, now there's a bell there, so all of a sudden right. he knows, you know, where she is. It's that's the thing with the bell. It's just, you, but you don't know its purpose until, exactly until way later. Or you, like the hammer. It's like well, okay, that's Chekhov's gun. You know that hammer. I watch. I watched this with uh, with Kristen, and uh, she. Um, when it first showed that tool bench and how perfectly it works, she's like, "Wow, for a blind guy, he's got a lot of blunt and sharp tools. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is he doing?" Um, so that that in itself like adds 
a layer of complexity to him aside mm-hmm. from being so like you can assume because he's a veteran that he has combat training and like we know that going in yeah. so you kind of see that coming but the precision in which he's able to like almost like you know superhuman or we'll get into this with monster quality how monstrous he is like with those abilities mm-hmm. um from the very beginning yeah. gives you that mm-hmm. piece like you're saying yeah and you notice like little details on the on the rewatch where um like on the wall you you see kind of um discoloration like where he touches the wall um oh. and so it's because he's just done it for so long and so like little touches like that are just great i just mm-hmm. do you know is he just feels like a perfect like puzzle yeah is that actor actually blind oh stephen lang no no yeah. no okay he um man, he's been he's one of those guys that has just been in on the stuff he's an avatar see i didn't even recognize him okay he gives off a completely different vibe here mm-hmm. i mean my classic I, I think he's he's kind of classically portrayed as kind of a rough like stern military dude um because he's old but he is buff oh, yeah and he's in good shape and um so here he is, he is just so creepy, but that we'll get into monster quality mm-hmm. there. Um, the other thing I just want to mention is that um, this, this comes down to the writing. We talked about characters. I, I love how every single character has moments of being sympathetic, but then also being irredeemable, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's just a lot of, moral complexity here yeah so just everything is is complex but just so well constructed this this is just a very well constructed movie absolutely so absolutely giving it a point so monster quality um i i have to start with him Mm -hmm. um so i kept writing down and like you said from the from that first long shot where we get the layout of the house and all Mm -hmm. okay i was thinking labyrinth and then there are moments where he is this Greek monster like you see like what i wrote down in my notes is that when he's coming um is when he's coming down through the cellar door uh-huh. one point and you see the shadow and he's like crouched and just like blah, like crawling in there he, he's just like this, this tragic monster yeah it's fantastic yeah he is just a machine like he he's inhuman almost and Mm -hmm. but but i mean it's all in his his physical appearance like it's all in in the way he presents himself and so it's just it's just a masterful performance by lang yeah i mean he's such a physical presence Mm -hmm. in a way that maybe maybe there hasn't been a physical presence quite like him since michael myers yeah, you know, I think so. Um, where it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't take any practical effects. I yeah. mean, I guess and with he the doesn't contacts even have to, some of the, the yeah. makeup, sure. Yeah, um, but and, not any. You know, and he says a few things. Yeah. He has like a deep, gravelly voice. Yes, and, which is creepy. But just like his his presence is just mm-hmm. so intimidating. And so I think with that, that's what relates to the archetypal fears: is he is a monster created by. We could call it by society or circumstances. Like that's yeah. what transformed him, and we get the sense mm-hmm. of that, and that's why I think it's so effective, mm-hmm. and it relates to that fear that he, at the end of the day, he is just a human. But 
he's become this way because of yeah in circumstance right and so then we also have you know his whole revenge story mm-hmm. of locking the girl up um and so that i think is is presented really well it's one of those where don't don't watch any trailer before you watch this movie like i hate how the the trailer yeah. for this i've just seen like revealed. the mini one but i hadn't seen that reveal so that was a surprise for oh. me about the the woman in the basement Oh, no, that was in the trailer that I saw. Oh. Yeah, see, and so obviously, if I mean, if you're listening to this, we, we, we spoil every movie. About it. Yeah. Um, but if you're, I guess if you're going to recommend it to a friend. Yeah, don't tell them about. Don't tell them about anything. I mean, I yeah. think part of the fun of this movie is just uh, figuring things out as they come. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that is really well done. I, I like how... You know, you have like maybe two minutes of of a rescue where they're gonna rescue her and mm-hmm. then she dies. Yeah. And so you you know, you you just get that rescue narrative turned upside down and, and mm-hmm. just taken out right away. Um and so I yeah, man. So it cl- like that character clearly has depth as a monster. Yes. And Kind of what adds to the quality of it for me, all of the monsters in here, mm-hmm. thinking of that, is that who are we supposed to root for? Like, who's yeah. really, he, is he really the monster? Uh, like, let's, let's put he that, is, let's he put is the kid, a monster. He's a monster. Let's put, like, the kidnapping, twisted, impregnation stuff. Yeah. Let's put that aside for I a mean, second. Just the fact that it <clears throat> is, like, he doesn't, he, he says, I'm not a rapist. Oh, you know, he is. That is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just that he feels like he has this like moral superiority, yes, which is just adds to that. It's, it's a, that's a characteristic of a great villain, right? Yeah, is that they don't see themselves as the villain, but right. rather they're on a different moral high ground. Yes, like Sluthor. Yeah. Um. So, take that aside. Let's think about these characters breaking into a blind man's house to steal the money he won in a sell- settlement when his daughter was killed. Yeah. Like. They're monstrous too, and Absolutely. so are their motives. So I wrote that down kind of towards the end. I mean, everybody's a villain in here, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like you, you find yourself rooting. Or I did. I found myself rooting for, um, uh, for Rocky at the end. But really, I was like, well, <laughs> should I? <laughs> they broke into this dude's house. Yeah, but then you know she saved her sister from you know. <laughs> Life in Detroit. So I know. I know. And I love that. I, I love the I, ambiguity. <clears throat> yeah. And I love with with the end, um, you know, you you have this uncertainty. Yeah. Like, will will she get caught? Um, yeah. You know, what what happens to the blind man? Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, I I just think they they just so expertly I, I I'm just so impressed that they're able to have all of this ambiguity, all of this like all, all of this important characterization in such a fast paced movie. Yep. I'm just it just blows me away. Yeah. And I think they kind of going back to the idea that they're all villains, they're the same type of villain too, because like we were saying about um, 
his sort of warped view of the crimes he was committing against the woman in the basement, he doesn't see that as a crime and sees it justified. Um, so that same sense of justice is also in the thieves because they see what they're doing is justified yeah. to take them out of the situation. So it's like they have the same, um, I don't want to call it villainy or yeah, like motivation. That's true. I haven't thought, I hadn't thought about um, it. So it, I, I say that just to show that it has immense depth, not even to mention all of the uh, like labyrinth, darkness, mm-hmm. uh, archetypes that show up. Yeah, killer dog. Yeah, well, I, I wrote down at the end, puppy punch, which yeah. just jacks the dog <laughs> in the face. Yeah. I lost it. And what happened to that dog? Did, did I hope someone got it out of the car. Oh, I'm sure. Like, okay. there, there, are enough, there are enough hipsters in Detroit that do rescues of, okay. of, of Rottweilers and Pitbulls. All right. So I, I'm, I'm sure he was okay. Um, or the blind man went and got him after he recovered from his... Maybe. Maybe he had somebody so. get his dog. <laughs> Uh, another thing about the car scene too, thinking about the various settings, like you said, that it moves through so quickly. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I assumed going in, it was going to stay in the house and stay in the basement. Yeah. But we go to all these different settings and it wrote down when she gets in the car, Oh, the basement wasn't small enough for you. Let's like bring <laughs> yeah. it into a car. Yeah. Um, so it just, <clears throat> I think with, with all of that, the, the locations and the, and the, and the different types of monsters that show up, I have to give it a point. Quality all around. Yes, high quality. Okay, so thinking about scare factor, the the open ending is scary for me. It's yeah. one of these few movies where I that we've talked about where I think the scare factor, the intent, and mm-hmm. success is certainly clear from beginning to end. Yeah, and, and we usually have to be a little forgiving at yeah. the beginning of movies um, for, for building but I mean, it's just so expertly paced that throughout. I mean, I can say from beginning to end, it is it is scary. Um, Stephen Lang is is scary. The house is scary. The dog is scary. Um, there is just tension throughout, and it somehow manages to like maintain that. Yeah, I think and a couple of reasons for that, and I think it goes back to production, why it can stay scary. So a couple of things I wrote down is, uh, one, this could have easily been a found footage movie, and they chose not to do it, and I'm so glad. It's true. You know what I mean? They could have been yeah. like, oh, we're going to be high-tech criminals and put cameras in our oh, glasses or on our man. ears. Gross. So that we can – So the, and the only reason to do that, motive to do that, is that when there's darkness, they can use the um, – uh, yeah, like little headlights. Yeah. Camera lights. Yeah, camera lights or do the infrared or whatever. Speaking to that point, I'm so glad in production they chose to do gray in the basement and not dum dum green. Yeah. Like we see so much. I and, was like, that's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it, but I didn't, I guess I didn't like formulate a thought around it the first time. But in when I was listening to the commentary, uh, when there's a gunshot, there's, there's a flash of color too. Which was so cool, yeah. Because that's the only thing that they would they would see is mm-hmm. when there's uh, a gunshot, and so yeah, man, I'm I'm happy to give this movie yeah a point here and enter it, it into the canon. Yeah, I think you said to me when you hit me the Blu-ray, you said uh, like best movie, like horror movie of the year. Well, we'll get into that, but first. So you're gonna give it a point? Absolutely. Okay. And All I right. like I have I have one question for you at the end too. Yeah. 
like what you think about the the character at the end but what oh okay. so so can we call her so gender bias aside can we call her a final girl i'm not sure there's enough transformation i think she's pretty like she stays pretty consistent yeah yeah this doesn't feel like a slasher movie right that that's my view of it too i don't think i think there are elements of it that's where as i was watching it towards the end like where she's surviving i was like Ooh, is it gonna go final girl ish and i don't think so but you get the final girl moment where you know she hits the alarm and then she like attacks him and so that yeah but that's uh, that's the moment where she you know there you go because she, she does, doesn't she could have attacked him when she was in the closet and didn't yeah that's she, that change. she does you know gain you know find the strength to to overcome him Mm -hmm. and so she does sort of go through that arc but i still would hesitate to call her a final girl yeah i think there's maybe a lot of similarities but yeah i would yeah unless or call her that anyway that was just my question okay um okay so don't breathe in the canon um now i want to um i want to propose something so this is our end of the year episode right and so I would like to just have a very brief discussion, um, which, you know, we could call this the final exam. Okay. Um, uh, the semester, uh, which, which movies that were released this year really stood out to you? Um, well, released you to this year or that we watched released this year. Okay. Since yeah, it's I the end of 2016. I can go through the list. It's, yeah. It's not terribly long. Okay. Um, okay. We have Don't Breathe, obviously. Uh, Phantasm 5. Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Southbound. Baskin. The Invitation. Green Room. The Purge Election Year. Mm. The Conjuring 2. And The Witch. Mm. which um i didn't which, realize that we saw that many movies that were released oh, yeah. this year so which movie gets the gold star oh my gosh you already thought about this didn't you a little bit a little bit oh i mean it's probably <clears throat> i don't uh, for for me it, it is kind of clear like th- there are some great movies here but i'll, I'll go ahead and, and share mine okay i have i have an idea I have an idea. Okay. For me, it's The Witch. Okay. Like, this this is, like, in every Venn diagram of my interest. It's horror. Like, the script is, like, beautiful. And it's it's for language people, like, English people. Um, it, 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 it feels original, yet... Um, yet timeless and just everything about it i loved don't breathe is it comes close but for me the witch is the the star pupil of of 2016 man well okay so i mean it, when when you first said it when you got through the list i i it was like a tie between don't breathe and the witch i don't think any of the other movies quite stand up to them i think there are elements of mm-hmm. say like we talked about with Phantasm or The Purge or Green Room. I w- it I w- has like shining moments, mm-hmm. but 
ones that go across the board, um, I think I think I'm also gonna have to say the witch, but don't breathe is really up there for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's only because of the complexity of the witch mm-hmm. that leaves me wanting to put it on that extra place and pedestal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like like you were saying with the script, the fact that it could be I mean the thing about the witch to me is that aside I guess from like maybe the supernatural stuff that the very, very end, uh-huh. all of that is like based in fact from what we know about, you know, the Puritans and and like during mm-hmm. that time. Like all of those things could have happened. Yeah. That makes it even more frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the ending of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, dang. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with The Witch as my okay. number one. All right. But Don't Breathe was so I think that refreshing. is a close number two. It is refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the, the only other movie on that list that made it into the canon was The Invitation. Yeah. Which I also really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I like it, but there are, like we talked, there are like pacing issues with me in that movie. Right. Um, you know, the scare factor we took issue with, like, mm. um, that's good. I, I would I would place Don't Breathe above the invitation. I would too. And so I, I think these movies, I, I think Don't Breathe and The Witch um, – are going to be movies we'll be recommending for a long time. <clears throat> now it's tough. I think that's a personal pick, but if I had to say um, that if there was a movie that I would tell the most variety of people to see to, let's say like our uninitiated, yeah. don't breathe. I, I could not, I I can't get my brother to watch the witch. I don't think it's true. Do. Well, and there have been complaints about pacing there and just how scary is it? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. So I, I would say have to do, if we did, like, <laughs> like audience pick, if you don't breathe, it was yeah. critic's choice, I think it would be The Witch. Okay. Or <laughs> could, could they be superlatives, like, most likely to succeed? <laughs> the, the, most likely to best. succeed with the uninitiated. Yeah. Don't breathe. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, oh, crap. Um, I'm going to go with Phantasm Five Ravager for best hair. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we do we go. We'll have to do it uh, maybe at the end of the school do, year. We have to do at the end of the school year. Let's do a senior yearbook. Super, superlatives. Yeah, yeah. Let's do let's do a senior senior class yearbook of the ones who made it to the canon, but put them in the categories. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's a great man. That's a great question. Um, now I will say though, like so. Uh, now that I tell people that we do have this conversation, do the podcast, mm-hmm. the question they always bring up is like, oh, what's your favorite scary movie? Mm-hmm. Um, or which one should I watch? And my go-to answer thus far has been um, to watch Martyrs. Oh, yeah. It's still at the top of my list of one of the mm-hmm. scariest movies that I've ever yeah. seen. Um, but now I think I'm going to say Martyrs and Don't Breathe. Yeah. The one that I found myself recommending um, – perhaps the most is black Christmas because it not many people have seen it. Like it feels very underrated. Sure. Um, And and I think it comes with that whole premise of like, there's a killer in a sorority house and, and you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of story has, has just been overdone and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, 
made ridiculous. And so I find myself recommending that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always always turn the question, do the classic teacher move. I turn the question on them. It's like, well, what is your favorite scary movie? And then I think about what yeah. one I would recommend them. Like they said, The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe I'd be inclined to do something that's a little bit more monstrous, like Martyrs, if they're not going to do gross yeah. up. But if they say like The Shining, then maybe I would say Don't Breathe. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Black Christmas is a good suggestion too. I need to rewatch that for the holiday season. Yeah, I just don't know. It's a good Christmas win, but it is. It is. Um, all right, so we want to draw for Friday the Thirteenth. Yes. So our next episode um, after winter break will be on Friday the Thirteenth. So once again, we will continue the tradition of drawing um, two friday the 13th movies and watching them and um i'm so nervous about this questioning (laughs) questioning the only one the existence of this no hey that's not true there's actually one that i i think is my favorite jason in space jason in space jason in space let's draw (laughs) (laughs) okay Ready? Got it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> what number is this that you drew? Is that a nine? That's a nine. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if it was a four. Uh, no, that's how I draw nine. Okay. Um, so do you know what that one is? Is it Jason in space? No, that's Jason X. But is it really the tenth one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what's the? Oh man, what is what comes before it? Jason goes to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. I I I like that one. Okay. My A game argument. Okay. And it we're gonna continue with like um the Kane Jason. Um th- these will actually be our first movies with uh, first Friday the thirteenth with Kane. With Kane. Right? Yeah. Um uh Friday the thirteenth part seven, the new blood. Oh, that's good. How do we manage to do this? Like they're kind of not they're not too far away from each other. Yeah. It's I don't know, it's happy weird. Circumstance. Um Cool. So yeah, there and there's a there's there if I remember it right. Have you seen Jason Goes to Hell? I've seen them all. Yeah. Um, there's like Freddy references in there, right? When you that is hell. the one that ends with, with the claw with or the mask his, or whatever. His his claw coming, his glove coming oh, out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So okay, so there you have it. Uh, in January for Friday the Thirteenth, we'll watch Part Seven and Jason Goes to Hell. Can't wait. All right, so check out more episodes on unoyasolstice.com, E-U-N-O-I-A-S-O-L-S-T-I-C-E. Follow us on Twitter at unoyasolstice, and we will see you next time. Pencils down. The terror test is over. <laughs>